0: could see the horror in the face of the pastor, but eventually he came up, and, and uh, so, you know, when I saw Alan, it just reminded me to just start a spontaneous song. You want to sing? I want to sing. What do you want to sing? <laughs> you are worthy of it all. Oh, you don't need music for that. You are worthy of it all. Can we do that together? From you are all things, and to you are all things, you desire. Oh, we've got Trevor here as well, so we can do that. We can just try stuff. You're worthy, of, you're worthy of all you are worthy. Can we do that for two three times? You are worthy of it all. Yes. From you are all, to you are all things to you are you deserve the glory you deserve the glory it's so simple isn't it we can do it again you're worthy of it all are you worthy Yes you're worthy Lord You're worthy of it all from you are all things from you are all things do you are all things? You deserve the glory. For the last time now, can we just do it again together? You are the Lord, you are worthy of glory. We give you the glory, Lord Jesus. You are worthy of Lord. From you are all things. From you are all things. to you are all things. All things. You deserve the glory. Father, we return glory to you. We return praise and honor. We worship you today. We exalt you. We magnify your name. We glorify you. You deserve praise. You deserve worship. You deserve glory. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Receive glory and praise. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Isn't it good to just worship Him? You know? The other one, I don't think I'm gonna try it like to just keep preaching for the next two hours. You know, that that's not gonna work. So Uh, I'm not sure we're gonna stay on the same page on that. So I'm going to try to say, Lord, you know, just help me to just say everything uh, within a short time. But it really is a joy for us to be part of this family. Um, you know, we started being part of this family. 2015, we came consistently and disappeared consistently. You know, we just, we just come and then zoom out. And you, know, and, you know, we're just in that space that we, we just wanted ministry. I, I think if you asked me to come preach in 2015, I would tell you flat out, no, I wouldn't do it, you know. Um, because we just wanted to just also be ministered to, and we loved it. We just kept saying, why didn't we become part of this family for all these years, you know? Um, so for us, really, is a joy. Our sons have plugged in Zedek, Jerry, Zukisa. They they just love it, you know. And uh, it's really a joy for us to, to be part of this family. We've enjoyed the ministry of Pastor John, Pastor Howard, uh, Shirley, Jolene, we just, we just loved the ministry that's been going on here. So it's a joy that today um, I'm supposed to just reflect on God's work together with you. Um, I must mention this. You know, I was so excited to see that Lucky was introduced. It's going to, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, are we good? Shall I use the other mic? Everybody's fine. Okay, I thought maybe there's an echo. Um, really excited to see Lucky introduced... Um, And to hear him say, I want to go as a missionary, that gladdens my heart. You know, that's that's where we belong. We belong in a mission cycle. We're part of Africa Inland Mission. And through that, we've gone to places, seen people that haven't heard the gospel. Uh, You know, it brings Mali back to my mind. Places that we've gone to and we've seen that the gospel hasn't gotten here. And this is 20th century or 21st century. And there are people that haven't heard you know, to see Lucky saying he's getting ready to go and he's been embraced by this family so that he can be built up to be able to go eventually, really gladden my heart. And I, I, I want to just commend this church for taking him in and pray that we'll all be part of building into his life so that he can eventually fulfill God's calling and purpose. Okay, you haven't said that, I think we need to pray. I know we worshiped. But let's pray so that God will bring our thoughts together as we share. Father, we just bring ourselves before you again. And we just ask that you will take our thoughts and channel it into your thoughts. That uh, you will take my words and use it to speak your word to your people. Um, Lord, would you, will you bypass my limitations, my humanness, and just bypass all of that and just speak to your people that which you want someone to live here with today. Uh, we just ask you to do this for the glory and the honor of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Another thing we do as people from African background is we greet the elders, we greet the mothers, we greet the Sunday school, and then you talk about your wife and uh, I think it's a good thing because she's been part of my life for 22 years and and she's brought nothing but joy and encouragement for ministry. And I just want to take this opportunity and publicly just honor Juliet for being part of my life for 22 years. And having said that, can you open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5 now? If you have it on your phone or tablets, wherever you have it. If you don't have it, you can listen as we read God's Word. Um, I love reading God's Word, and in the earlier service, I thought, you know, let's just keep the reading short, but I've got pastoral endorsement to just read as long as I want to, so, <laughs> so because in my, you know, on my heart, I, I really wanted us to read, okay, this is not responding to me, you, maybe you can control it from there. Um, is it me? Okay, it's, it's on now. Yeah, Second Kings chapter 5. I, I thought it would be great, you know, to just read the narrative and enjoy the story. So that if, if you lose me, because I, I, I can tend to get very excited and you might lose me. But if we read the whole of the story, then you're fine. You know, Even if you lose me, you've got the story. So I thought we can just read the whole of the narrative because... In there, I believe it is God's word and God could speak to you as we read his word. Um, so, so can we read the whole of the story? Well, at least up to verse 15, you know, and then you can read the rest of it. But I think if we read from verse 1 to 15, at least it shall capture the essence of the narrative. And then, and then we can just do a few reflections on a number of verses. So let's read from verse 1 to 15. You can follow in your Bible. Um, I believe uh, it may it may not come up on the screen, so y- you can just listen if you don't have your Bible with me. Sorry, it's not going to come on the screen. It's going to be in your Bible or on the screen of your phone. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and his, and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Okay, so it's very clear we're introduced to a man here that is out of the commonwealth of Israel, that is not part of God's covenant people, that is actually a stranger and a foreigner. We get that very quickly. And then verse 2 says, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's house. That's kind of sad, you know. It's uh, this is God's people and this little innocent girl taking away captive and into slavery and into service. There's something of a twist there. You know, it's God's people, but they're falling prey to God's enemies, and part of that story is unfolding into something. And verse 3 says, She said to her mistress, Will that my Lord, where would the prophet who is in Samaria, he will cure him of his leprosy? Wow. So Naaman went in and told his lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Israel and the king of Syria said, "Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. I will send a letter from a king to a king." They kind of missed the story, you know. They missed the point of that little girl. This, I thought he got it, but he didn't. Miss, he, he he missed it. So he went taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. Something is wrong, you know. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? To kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy. Only consider and see how he's taking a quarrel. You know, I just went on and on. He's asking me to do the impossible. How can I cure leprosy? Where have you had a king cure leprosy? And he just went on a rage at you because he knew that he couldn't do it. Verse 8. But when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Syria, the king of Israel had torn his clothes and his his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. And Naaman said, What? Oh, okay, didn't say that, yeah. yeah. You can just imagine him. Like, say, what do you mean? Naaman was angry. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave it. He even knew how people healed, he even knew how it was going to happen, you know. Amazing how so many times we just we just want to work it out. <laughs> Cause we we think we know. I'm gonna try and stay with the reading. It's 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 just an exciting story, you know. Mm. I, I love it. So I've got to take ten again. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Paphra and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near to him and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? If it was a great word the prophet spoke to you, will you not have done it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean oh what an amazing story you know the morning in the morning service the lady that uh, led the worship sang a Sunday school you know reminded us of a Sunday school I didn't have the privilege of Sunday school You know, I just went to an Islamic madrasa. So I didn't know that song, you know, when she was singing. I had no clue what that song was. Uh, but she said that there was a Sunday school song, you know, that uh, Neyman dipped first time. And he came out dipped second time. And he came out dipped sixth. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, and he, was, he will dip the first time. Nothing happened. And he will turn around and say, you're going to be in trouble. And he will dip again. And then he, they're, they're all going to be in trouble after the fourth, fifth, sixth time. But the seventh time, something changed. So, having read all of the story, I, I, I thought it's it's long. So, let's try to bring our thoughts together on a couple of verses. Reflect on how we see God speaking to us through those couple of verses, and then and then we just pray. The first thing I thought I shall mention, by way of introduction, is that the story of First and Second Kings introduces us to how God's people were gradually losing their identity. And because of bad leadership, wrong monarchy, and all kinds of things that were going on, they were beginning to lose that distinct identity that they had as God's people. Their identity was being eroded. They were being overtaken by what was happening around them, And there was a distinct identity that God had intended for them to function with that was beginning to be lost. Unfortunately, that plays out in the story. And also, the overarching thing, you know, the big issue around all of the stories, this story and other stories in the book of Kings, is that the people of God were beginning to... Fail in their covenant responsibilities. There was covenant failure. God had covenanted Himself to them. They were people of God by covenant, and they were just they were just making a mess of the covenant of God. They were just not paying attention to God God's covenant demand in how they live, in how they worship. There was covenant failure that was becoming more and more apparent in the life of the people of God. And just to mention that even though we had a long reading, we'll try to focus our attention on three verses, and then we will just pray. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to, you will see it in verse 1, the first part of verse 1, it says, Now Naaman was a commander of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. And it seems to me that the narrative of this beautiful God story is wanting us to realize very quickly that victory comes from the Lord. It's very apparent, it's very obvious, but not obvious to Naaman as you will see. That this God that we're dealing with his story is the God that gives victory and let me say this in passing before I say a bit more about Naaman that maybe you're sitting here and you're just hanging in there and you're just holding in by bare thread and you're wondering is uh, is this gonna ever work out am I am I ever gonna experience God coming through can I just encourage you in passing that God gives victory victory he does he gives it even to foreign people people that are outside of his covenant people people that are that do not know him and because he shows that he can do that can I encourage you child of God that God gives victory I I just feel like I should say victory is coming Oh, you can say amen to that. Alright? I can say that to you because it's gonna be from God. If I tell you that Jacob gives victory, run from it because he can't. If I tell you, bring in some money here and tomorrow victory is gonna come. I if I be Jacob, man of God, victory is gonna come. If I do that to you, you better run because that's not true. But it doesn't stop the truth that God gives victory. Victory comes, and it comes from the Lord. And I thought I should encourage someone here today that God gives victory. Just keep holding. Just keep believing. Just keep trusting. And keep praying. And keep looking to him. Victory is coming. How do I know it? Well, he gave it to someone that didn't even know him. He gave it to someone that didn't even realize it. This man that we're dealing with here, this is how victory looked like for him. He was a very powerful man. He was a very influential man. He was lovely, as his name suggests. You know, the name Naim, you know, suggests that he was, he was a lovely man. So this is what you see. When you meet Naaman, the military general, he carried a gate built. You know, he was someone that was influential, powerful. Probably good-looking, I don't know, you know, I'm just following what the name suggests here. That, uh, you know, if you see him, you, you, you will conclude that he's got it all together. That's it. You know, everything externally looks great until you get to know him a bit more. Then you discover he's also an angry man. He's also a rageful man. He's someone that is very proud. Okay, you know, we don't see that most of the time. But the story tells us that. And he was leprous. You got a problem. All of this represented the kind of person that he was. And a bigger problem that is bigger than all of the problem is that he had no realization that God was behind his victory. They didn't know that. From the story you can see that Naaman had no clue that God was behind his victory. And you know in some ways uh, there is a way in which our society is structured that we, we kind of relate with Naaman at that level. We, we we, we don't see the connection between our business success and God. We don't see the connection with having a PhD and God. We don't see the connection and having great skills. And, I mean, our society is such, such a scientifically advanced society that God is out of that equation. Imagine with me for a moment, you know, Naaman is back from one of his conquests. And you, you know, all the journalists are jostling for his attention. And, you know, they want to get a space to hear him and say, General Naaman, you are a hero in this nation. And you have under your belt many conquests. How did you do it? What's the secret? Do you think he will acknowledge God in that? I doubt. You know, he's like... You know, I went to the best military schools and, you know, I've got skills, I've got experience under my belt. You know, I've got a family name. Uh, we've been a family of military warriors, you know, that's that's what we do, you know. And my great-great-grandfather was a warrior. You know, he would just go on and on. And there is a way in which we relate to name and at that level that so many times when we look at what we've achieved, how far we've come, we explain it away from God and sometimes we attribute it to our family history you know my family my parents suffered to get me through school you know it's this is family wealth you know whatever it is you know we relate to Naaman at that level and God was pulling Naaman out of that ignorance into a place of encounter God was pulling Naaman into a place of acknowledging him in that victory, in that success, God is pulling Naaman to a place of surrender and worship. And as I move away from Naaman, you know, maybe you're sitting here and, you know, you just come because, you know, you, you want to please your wife. <laughs> you know, she, you, you don't like this God stuff, but, you know, you've just got to go anyway. You know, she's been your wife for so many years. You just go. And you, you don't see God in your life. You, you see all your efforts and your achievement and your attainment. And God is, God is someone mentioned the hound of heaven. You know, I like that when the Spirit of God takes word out of my mouth through other people. You know, maybe there is some hound of heaven. God is pulling you and saying, I give you the success. I give you the victory. I give you the business. I give you the wealth. I want you to move into a place of encounter, into a place of acknowledging me, into a place of surrender so that you can worship me. Maybe God is, doing, is tugging on your heart. And, you know, sometimes when you want to preach and you're praying and you're seeking God, God sort of places an emphasis as if, you know, there is somebody that's going to be connecting to that. And someone came in the morning and he was just weeping. And he was saying, do you know about me? I said, sir, I know nothing about you. You know, but God knows something about you. God knows about you. Maybe this one person here that God has he's been just tugging, just pulling Look beyond what you define as success. It's my hand that brought you there. Well, that's what we see God doing in the life of Naaman. Just pulling, pulling. Second thing that I like to draw attention to is that the Lord heals leprosy. And that's also pretty obvious. And uh, you just see that in the second part of verse 1. It says he was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. It seems to me like the narrator in this story wants us to quickly realize that for all his greatness, there is one thing that if it is not dealt with, it will throw all of his achievement into inconsequence. It will become nothing. It will mean nothing. And for him, that was leprosy. Naaman's greatness or honor or interest or valor or victory can set him out. of I mean, no man's greatness or honor or interest or valor or victory can set him out of the reach of the sorest of calamities of human life. It doesn't matter where you are in life. There is this one point that you can't just solve. Your expertise cannot help it. Your money cannot. And for Naaman, that one thing was leprosy. And you know, I've seen leprosy. Like I said, I'm not that old, but I've, I've seen leprosy. You know, I've seen people that have survived leprosy that had gone to a very advanced stage. Limbs have been lost. Um, even the description alone can be very horrible to some people, you know, very sensitive people. Just the description of what I've seen. What I've witnessed with my eyes of people that, you know, they kind of survived leper colony because missionaries eventually came and the ravaging nature of the disease was sort of, you know, mitigated. But but it had already eaten up and some of those people, you know, really preferred to die because of the ravaging nature of the disease of leprosy. And we see that for Naaman, there is that one thing that he Cannot solve it. He cannot. And friends, it's true of us that there is usually that one thing that, except God stretches his hand and fixes it, it cannot be fixed. You know, if I'm going to change that the Lord heals leprosy, maybe I would rather say the Lord can do the impossible. That one impossible thing the Lord can. He can't change it. He can't fix it. And sometimes we we, we can also, again, scientifically look at our lives and don't even see that one thing that cannot be fixed. I mean, I, I can have the best medical attention. Not me, you know. That person, you know, can have the best medical attention. They can, whatever money can afford, it's not a problem. And people sometimes can even not see that one thing that cannot be solved. But can I tell you the truth? That when we read about Naaman and we see his dealing with leprosy, there is a sense in which leprosy represents that sickness that kills, especially in the understanding of Bible times. That sickness that is simply incurable. That sickness that that king could not cure. That sickness that no human can tamper with except God. Doesn't that sound to you like sin and the effect of sin? Doesn't that sound to you like every man that can solve every problem that comes around his life cannot solve that one problem of sin? It's incurable. It will take the intervention of the blood of Jesus. And again, he took it out of my mouth about repentance and turning to the cross to stop the ravaging effects of leprosy. The solution cannot be found in the wrong places. We've seen in Scripture, Jesus says to the lepers, I will be cleansed. That's what he says. As the only one that can really Fix that one thing that cannot be fixed. Whether it is sin, whether it is life situation, whether it is some circumstance that cannot be changed or handled by human hands, Jesus says, I will. Amen. And that's what God was pulling Naaman into. To realize that one thing. To identify that one thing to admit that one thing and to go to Him for the solution to that one thing. Let's move on quickly to the next thing that I'd like to draw your attention to in Second Kings chapter 5, verse 2 says now, the bands from Aram had gone out and had taken a, have taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. And I, I named this point: "The Lord uses the weak and the powerless." And you know, spending time in prayer, thinking about this, and praying through this, I, I almost thought, you know, that the, the whole title of the sermon need to change. But you know, you've kind of put this down, and you've written it down, and you know, you've made commitments and say, "Okay, that's what I'm going to talk about," like three, four weeks ago. But, but. I just almost could say that God was challenging my heart to say the very title of this sermon is not the powerful general and the nameless slave girl, but rather the powerless general and the powerful slave girl. That this man is so powerless about this thing called leprosy. And this girl was so powerful in her faith in God and god uses weak and powerless people slavery was her reality but samaria under yahweh was her identity that that was that was the girl you know she she was under slavery under captivity but that sense of identity that the nation was losing was maintained in that one nameless slave girl. That sense of identity that the whole people of God were wandering away from and not even thinking it's important to keep the identity in Yahweh rooted in his understanding of who he is. They were moving away from that and that one slave girl Someone even said she kind of rep- represented a picture of the remnant. Here are some contrasts that you see between the slave girl and this general. He was a powerful male. She was a powerless female. He seemingly had everything materially. She had lost everything. She lost family, friends. He was unclean. She was clean because she belonged to God's holy people, set apart people, clean people. And he was faithless, and she was faithful. And all of that comes through to tell us that God uses the weak and the powerless, the weak in our view, God uses them. What did I do? Something about the slave girl, before we move forward, God remains in control even in circumstances that may look unpleasant. And we see that in the life of the slave girl. Though she was seemingly weak and powerless and a victim, she was in reality a mighty instrument in the hand of God. Beyond her slavery, God was poised to use her and as a missionary, as someone that in God's grace I've seen places where people are desperately needing the gospel, where people need to hear what you're hearing and they cannot even gather. I, I, I've been to a place where you, you cannot take a Bible physically because you wouldn't walk through that street with your head still on your shoulder. You cannot. I've been to a place where I had to make sure I'm not carrying anything that says I'm a Christian. In places where people need to hear the gospel, but it's just very difficult. And I'm convinced by the story of this slave girl and her circumstance and her unfortunate situation that people are brought into the kingdom of God at great cost to other people. And sometimes we are very worried about money, but this cost her even her family. And this slave girl just speaks to us. The fourth thing, and that's the last point that I'd like to bring your attention to, trusting that you will read the story and you will get all the other parts of the story. The fourth thing that I'd like to bring your attention to is that the Lord uses courageous and compassionate witness of faith. It says, She said to her mistress, If only my master will see the prophet who is in Samaria, he will cure him of leprosy. Okay, now... You need to know that there is no history of the prophet curing anyone of leprosy ever. There wasn't. What this young slave girl said and did was a bold, courageous act of faith. It was bold. She said, If... Only my master will see the prophet who is in Samaria. He will cure him of leprosy. You know, it sounds like she's sending him to a man, but we all know that for every prophet in Israel, they knew the true prophets as the prophets of Yahweh. They spoke for Yahweh. They did things in his name. Essentially, she was saying, go to the representative of the God that I believe in, and I sort of know... She was clever, you see. She should have said, "Come here, I'm going to pray for you now. You're going to get healed." No, she sort of pointed him away from herself. And I find that that's smart. You know, we've got to point people to God. Then we don't leave with disappointment. Then we don't leave with sense of failure because it's God. It's God. And she said, "Go to the prophet," and you can hear that in her voice: boldness, concern, compassion confidence, all come through the voice of that nameless slave girl. You know, I've, I've, I've often wondered, why Why did she have to be concerned about him? I mean, she should have said, Lord, let this disease kill him faster. <laughs> Haven't you? Okay, you, you don't know this. Those are some of our contexts that I go to preach and, you know, you hear people praying and you're wondering, what are they really saying? But that's human. She People that live like that fail to look beyond the unfortunate circumstance to how God wants to use their faith. And I'm so glad we've got the story of the slave girl here to remind us that all that seemed contrary to what we'll expect from somebody that is in our circumstance came out. She looked beyond her pain. Look beyond her negative circumstance, look beyond her situation, and she still considered God faithful and she was still pointing people to God. And it tells me that it's possible to lose something valuable without losing your faith in God. It is possible. I can tell you personal stories. But I won't, you know. (laughs) You know, can I just say to you that it's possible? If you're going through loss, you might not be a slave, you know, you might not be the marginalized, you might not even categorize yourself as the underprivileged, you know, so you you can think, you know. What the slave girl tells us is that God can walk through and beyond your pain and use it for his glory. He can. The the, the loss of a loved one does not mean the loss of your faith. The loss of a business. You know, all of this. Negative circumstances coming at you doesn't spell that it's over with God. God can still use you. And we see that in the life of the slave girl. And I think I should bring this to a close so that we can pray. Really trust that circumstances will never blur your vision of God's providence and sovereignty. That He can use your courageous, compassionate witness of faith. You know, I've, I've sat through most of the sermons on the great stories of faith. And I'm absolutely convinced that God is calling us to a place of being strengthened in our faith in Him. Being built up in our faith in Him. But can I encourage you that faith, the end point of faith is to the saving of nations. The end point of faith is to the saving of neighbors. The end point of faith is that others will be pointed to our great God, who has given us the gift of faith in the first place. Can I put these four questions all together so that we can pray? Okay, where is it? How are you acknowledging God with your victory and success in very practical ways? And where do, you look, where do you go looking for solution to life's humanly unsolvable difficulties? How do you view God in the moment of adversity? Is our faith in God fair weather faith? In what ways do you believe your faith in God could affect and impact non-believing people and nations. Because that's where it boils down to. That all the stories of faith we've had, all that we've had about faith and we feel built up, we feel felt encouraged, shall turn out to the blessing of others. That our faith will be strong and resilient in the midst of difficulties, so much that we can point people to God. Let's pray together.